Today on Open the Bible, we begin a week of special programs as we approach the celebration of Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday. We have a presentation of Pastor Colin Smith's book, Heaven, How I Got Here. It's a dramatic reading performed by actor Stephen Baldwin, portraying the story of the thief on the cross who died just a few feet from Jesus. The story is told in his own words as he looks back from heaven on the day that changed his eternity and the faith that can change yours. Open the Bible presents Heaven, How I Got Here. Welcome to a special edition of Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm Steve Hiller and glad that you've joined us as Colin Today we begin a week-long series doing something a little bit different. We're listening to the dramatic reading of the book, Heaven, How I Got Here. Yeah, and it's the story of the thief on the cross. I think one of the most marvelous stories in all of the New Testament. Here's this guy who nobody would expect to get into heaven. Sure. And according to Jesus Christ, he's there. You know, I remember when you preached the message that this uh, book was actually taken from. It was just so enlightening. I think it's the clearest presentation of the gospel I've heard. You know, I think it blows out of the water the most common assumption about getting into heaven. Uh, people think, you know, I get into heaven by living a good enough life. Well, this guy hadn't done that, and he wasn't in a position to do it. And yet Jesus Christ says, you will be with me in paradise. Well, now, how does he get there? That's the story, and I think it's one of the most marvelous stories in the New Testament. Well, as I said, this is the dramatic reading of the book, Heaven, How I Got Here. It's actually read by actor Stephen Baldwin. So let's go ahead and listen to chapter one, entitled Breakfast. Chapter one, breakfast, 6 a.m. Not many men open their eyes in the morning knowing it's their last day on earth. This is it. This is the day I die. Looking back, the entire day and how it ended still blows my mind. I awoke in the cell where they were holding me, pending execution. Or to be more accurate, torture, humiliation, and a long, slow descent into death on a cross. Only the Romans could have perpetuated such barbarity. And I hated them with every fiber of my being. My story began in an ordinary home and is largely without surprise. My father made a modest living as a builder, while my mother, who set the pace for our family, gave herself to setting her children on the right path. Because we were Jewish, the synagogue was a regular part of our family life, as was the annual trip to the temple in Jerusalem. My mother, a woman of ridiculous faith, made sure that I was well-schooled in the teachings of our fathers, God is watching you, she would say. He sees everything, and he never forgets. He remembers the good, and he remembers the evil. You always reap what you sow. Her favorite book in the scriptures was the book of Proverbs. I can still hear her voice telling me that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then she would ask me, Do you fear God? It never occurred to me that there was any other option. Like most children, I pretty much just accepted what my mother taught me about God until my early teens, when I began to have questions about God and about authority in general. A major turning point occurred for me at the age of 13 when I saw up close the injustice that was woven into the fabric of our national life 
My father worked so hard to make ends meet for our family, but the intolerable taxes imposed on us by the occupying Roman army made even our modest lifestyle hard to sustain. That particular day, the tax collector knocked on the door with his latest unfounded demand. I remember the pained and powerless look on my father's face. It was as if they had broken his back and crushed his spirit. Everyone knew that the system was riddled with corruption, but what can you do when the power of a brutal army stands behind the slimy little taxman? Seeing my father look that way made me furious. What right did these imposters have to march into our land and demand our money? Since when did we owe them? The whole thing was an injustice, and even as a young man, it made me mad. It simply wasn't fair. Our annual visit to the temple in Jerusalem had always been a highlight of our family life. Think of a vacation with your extended family and you'll get the idea. My first impression of the temple was of awe and wonder. The size of the building, the depth of the walls, the noise of the crowds, and the relentless activity in the temple courts took my breath away. But as the years passed, my questions began to grow. The priests offered a relentless diet of rules and morality. Wisdom for life, they called it. But what were they doing about the glaring injustice that was plain for all to see in the ever-present oppression of Rome? Nothing, as far as I could see. Gradually, I came to the conclusion that the temple, the priests, and the whole moral structure were supremely irrelevant to the real issues of life for our people. Over time, the hatred I felt toward Rome showed up in a growing resentment toward the temple, its rules, and its God. I watched how people poured money into the temple treasury and thought about how that money could be used to fund the small bands of freedom fighters who were ready to risk their lives in standing up to the Roman occupation. But that didn't happen. Instead, the money rolled into the temple coffers to be sunk into the endless maintenance of buildings and priests who, as far as I could see, had little to offer. Rules. Morality. Where was this getting us? What could it all accomplish? Somewhere in these anxious and angry thoughts, a rebellion was born in my heart. So you won't be surprised when I tell you that the temple was the scene of my first theft at age 15. I had been watching as people put their money into the treasury and had been surprised by the low level of security. It would be as easy, I figured, for me to take money out of the treasury as it was for them to put money in. If the priests weren't going to put the money to good use, maybe I could. As the thought settled, a decision emerged. My palms began to sweat as I watched and waited for the right moment. Then with money in hand, I stepped forward to the basin where the gifts were gathered, famed the dropping of my coins, and in the same movement gathered a fistful of cash. Walking away, I felt sure that a large hand would be laid on my shoulder and that I would be confronted. But it never happened. I had committed the perfect crime. 
And as much as I hated to admit it, it felt good. My theft at the treasury planted the seed of a grander scheme for a nobler purpose. Somebody needed to do something bold. And that became my life's ambition. Each time I stole, it got easier for me. I had far bigger halls and far less fear of consequences. Over time, I became arrogant in my crimes and lazy in my efforts to hide them. After years of stealing, lying, and taking advantage of others, the consequences of my lifestyle finally caught up with me. That large hand of the law I had eluded for so long landed on my shoulder and led me to the cell where I began the last day of my life. A loud thud reverberated on the cell door as a heartless guard stepped in with a mug and plate in his hand. Breakfast, he said, as he spat in my food. Enjoy your last meal. The door closed and I sat, alone, powerless, staring at the walls of my miserable cell. This was the end of the line for me. And it felt as if the devil was on my shoulder. In front of me was a day of excruciating pain. And who knew what would lie beyond that? Rage against Rome had energized my life, and now I was in the hands of the people I hated. I had dared to resist their power, and I knew that they would show me no mercy. They would make an example of me and use my pain to stop any brave souls who might consider following my example in their tracks. As I considered the day that stretched in front of me, I determined to show no weakness. The Romans could break my body, but they could never break my spirit. I resolved to die in defiance. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith on a special edition today as we're listening to the first couple of chapters of Pastor Colin's book, Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. Now, Pastor Colin has written this paperback book a number of years ago, and it's been a great tool that people have used to really help us understand or grasp the gospel, understanding that there was nothing that the thief did to earn heaven. It was a a gift that was given to him from God. The book has also been turned into this dramatic audio book that you're listening to on the radio right now. So maybe you have someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus, but you'd like to get them a copy of this book as a creative way to help them understand the gospel and what it means to come to Jesus. Well, you can find out more about getting your own copy of the book when you visit our website, openthebible.org.uk. That's openthebible.org.uk. We continue the book, Heaven, How I Got Here. Here's Chapter 2, Hatred. Chapter 2, Hatred. 9 a.m. Two others shared my ordeal the day I was crucified. One after the other, they nailed us to crosses. I was not able to see the guards do their work on the first victim. But I watched closely as the second was pushed forward. 
A large beam of wood was placed on the ground, and a moment later the victim, who had been poleaxed by the guard, was lying on it. One of the soldiers stomped on the man's right forearm, pinning him to a second beam. Then they produced the nails. An agonized scream cut through the morning air as the victim's hand was pierced by a blunt spike. Four times I heard that awful shriek. This is what happens to thieves, shouted one of the guards. His words seemed to be for the crowd rather than the victim, to whom he gave no regard. Then it happened to me. There are no words to describe the pain of crucifixion. All I can tell you is that hatred sustained me. Determined to show no weakness, I fixed my eyes on the guard with the hammer and loathed him. He looked at me for a brief moment, but seeing the intensity in my eyes, he turned away. I stared at him and steeled myself as he indulged his macabre act. But worse was yet to come. After fixing my body to this instrument of torture, they lifted me up and dropped the beam into the roughly cut hole in the ground. The weight of my entire body sent searing pain through the wounds in my hands. My only relief was to press down with my legs, transferring the most intense pain to my feet. I found that I could breathe when the weight was on my feet, so I developed a kind of rhythm in which I moved between hanging from my hands and pressing on my feet. Either way, the agony was unrelenting. The first victim was clearly the object of unusual attention. His cross had been placed at the center, with the second victim and myself just a few feet away on either side. I was completely absorbed with my own pain and had taken no notice of him until I heard him speak. Father, forgive them, he said. Forgive them? Who is this man? Some kind of saint? My entire life I found it hard to even think about forgiving people who wronged me, I held grudges for years over small things people said or did to me. The idea of forgiving these executioners for mutilating our bodies and seemingly enjoying it? You've got to be kidding. I hated them. Anyone who would forgive them was no friend of mine. As I turned toward him, I saw the writing above his head. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus. I had heard about him. The miracle worker from Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah. Well, I thought, if he is able to perform miracles, this is surely the day to produce one. But it's always the same thing with these religious types. Great claims, nice thoughts, but no muscle to confront the harsh realities of this world. 
Seeing him writhe in agony seemed only to prove my point. Praying for forgiveness might sound impressive to some, but it could never match the raw power of nails and a hammer. I watched him, and already I despised him. I was not alone. Crucifixions always drew a crowd. But this crowd was larger and more hostile than usual. People walked back and forward in front of his cross, looking up and addressing the helpless victim above them. Someone shouted, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The crowd responded by chanting in a wave of agreement, Come down, come down, come down. Then someone else in the crowd stepped away and, pointing at Jesus, shouted, You said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. As the taunts wore on, I wondered how this Jesus had ignited so much hostility. After all, someone who wanted to destroy the temple couldn't be all that bad as far as I was concerned. What it would mean to be the Son of God was vague to me then. Though it is wonderfully clear to me now that I'm in heaven. Names described characters in our culture. If you were a miserable person, you might be described as the Son of Misery. If you regularly encouraged others, you could be described as a Son of Encouragement. So, Son of God would describe a person who embodied all that God is in the flesh. The absurdity of this might seem obvious to you, but according to the crowd, Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God. So it was hardly surprising to hear them give him this challenge. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Pain seared through my body as I pressed down on my feet to take another gulp of air. It was hard to tell how much time had elapsed since my crucifixion, which had been set for 9 a.m. Since then, the minutes had seemed like hours, but from the position of the sun at that point, I guessed it was around 10 a.m. One hour had seemed like an eternity. Already it was clear to me that as time passed, I would be less able to lift my weight and with that less able to breathe. I was inching toward death on a one-way street. Looking at Jesus, I noticed the many wounds up and down his severely beaten body. There were countless deep and open lacerations around his entire torso and up and down his legs. Long thorns had been pressed into his brow as if to crown this bloodied king. If God had a son, it was hard to imagine how he could ever look like this. He saved others, the crowd chanted, but he can't save himself. 
Who had he saved? What, what did he save them from? As a child, I had been taught that God is the one who saves. If Jesus was the Son of God, saving was clearly something he would do. And yet, when the crowd called on him to save himself, he made no response. That's religion for you, I thought. He says he will destroy the temple, but doesn't remove a stone. He claims to be the promised Savior, but can't even save himself. My anger intensified as these thoughts raced through my mind. My mother used to say, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. As far as I was concerned, he was way too slow to anger with the Romans and not nearly compassionate enough to us. The searing pain shooting through my body seemed to reinforce the point. It takes energy to speak when you are in excruciating pain, and up to this point, I had not spoken a single word. But somehow these thoughts caused all hell to break loose inside of me, and I poured out the foulest stream of hatred and abuse toward Jesus. Pure venom. The second victim, whose cross had been planted on the other side of Jesus, joined in. And that got the crowd going again. I wondered if there had ever been a time when so much hatred had been poured out on one man. Looking down, there were a few weeping women and one man who seemed to care about him. But to everyone else, he was an object of ridicule. Although I knew little about him, I was glad to join them. I couldn't keep it up, though. My body soon sagged, exhausted... And as my voice fell silent, I began to wonder, why had I aimed my tirade at Jesus? I hated Rome, so why didn't I spend that energy cursing Caesar or Pilate or the centurion who was standing just a few feet away? A thought came to me like a shaft of light I had never seen before. Behind every hatred lies a deeper hatred of God. I had never thought of myself as a God-hater before, but somehow this thought made sense to me. Long ago, I had come to the sad conclusion that God and his laws were irrelevant to my life and that the religious establishment was largely useless to the great causes of justice and peace. I had thought of myself as a God-skeptic, but in that moment, I saw something deeper and darker in my soul. Behind my hatred of Rome lay my hatred of God. The same God who had allowed Rome to stomp all over his people. Who had permitted the tax collectors to extort our family. Who had made a world in which people die excruciating deaths on wooden beams. Pain fueled the hatred that filled my soul in this awful ordeal. I hated Rome. I hated myself. I hated God. I hated his son. I was on the brink of hell. I could taste it already.
Boy, that is such a powerful picture of the condition of the thief as we wrap up chapter two of Heaven, How I Got Here. And Colin, that uh, really um, just shows us the hatred that this thief had. Yeah, I think he's about as far from God as it's possible for a person to be at this point in the story. And yet the remarkable thing is that Jesus says to him before the end, you're going to be with me in paradise. So if there's hope for this person in Jesus Christ, then there is hope for the person who feels very far from God even today. And Colin, as we continue the broadcast all this week, we're going to actually see what happened to the thief. Yeah, and there's this great change that comes over him. It's very wonderful, really. I mean, he's been pouring out all of this hatred onto Jesus Christ comes to realize that this Christ actually loves him and that there's hope for him in this Christ. And uh, this is the great change where a person comes to a place of saying, you know, I've been hating this Christ. I should be asking him to help me. Yeah. And that's where this thief comes and Jesus does help him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that's what this week's broadcast of Open the Bible is all about as we continue this week-long reading of Heaven, How I Got Here. If you want to get a copy of the book for yourself that you may want to consider passing along to a friend or a family member who you think could benefit from hearing the clear presentation of the gospel in this creative and compelling way, then I hope you'll come to our website, openthebible.org.uk. That's openthebible.org.uk. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For information on today's broadcast, please visit openthebible.org.uk. Learn more about Heaven, How I Got Here, a book written by Pastor Colin Smith. And if you missed any part of the program, or if you want to hear this special series in its entirety, you can listen online at openthebible.org.uk. Join us again next time for part two of Heaven, How I Got Here. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible.